Welcome to Handmaids and Harless, a weekly podcast that explores both the Handmaid's Tale and Harlots series produced by Hulu. This podcast is marked as heavy spoilers as it will include episode by episode synopsis as well as analysis of both shows and their written source material. The textual references for this podcast are The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Miss Atwood's book and forthcoming second installment, Testaments. Textual references for all Harlots-related podcasts will be taken from Hallie Rubinold's book, The Covent Garden Ladies, Pimp, General Jack, and the Extraordinary Story of Harris's Lists, as well as interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Harlots by Hulu. Join me, Ray, and my co-host, Kay, as we watch, read, and discuss these two provocative and intelligent stories. Howdy, folks. It's uh, Ray. Hey, this is Kay. And we are coming to you for Handmaids and Harlots. And this is our Handmaids edition for episodes 9 and 10. And before we get into talking about episodes 9 and 10, we just want to give our audience a little apology for us getting kind of backed up. Um, there have been some real life challenges for both of us. And I think we've discussed a little bit here on the podcast with you all, but both Kate and I have our own struggles with various health care issues. This is um, part of the reason we do this podcast because it's a way for her and I to do something creative that isn't and shouldn't be super stressful and not expensive, and we can do it together um, as a kind of a partnership, right? It's a, it's a 50-50 year. But we both have been struggling lately with mood and other stuff going on in our real life. And so we just got behind and mm -hmm. we apologize for that. Oh, yeah. It's most of the time you just can't do anything about it. Yeah. It's one of the beauties of dealing with mental illness is sometimes when you really want to not be mentally ill, you are unfortunately still there. So, and depression is a really difficult master to. Oh my God, thrall, shut up. <laughs> And then depression is a really hard master to live under. And then when you compound it with things like anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder, sometimes you don't wag the tail, the tail wags you. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing much you can do about it. I mean, medication stuff can be fine, but some days you just have worse days than others. Yep. So we want to apologize for not being here for you guys last week. We want to apologize for the lateness of the episodes last week, although to be fair, or the week before, that was a lot. It is a lot. It's going to be a lot for a little bit yet because we still have the end of Handmaid's to do and some beginning and Harlots is overlapping. So it's a little overwhelming, but we're going to try to do what we can. And one of the compromises that we decided on is we're not going to be doing any more recaps. 
mm-hmm. just because it just gets to be such a hassle, particularly not so much with Handmaid's Tale because it's uh, the pacing is very different in that show than Harlots. But holy cat crap, Harlots is um, <laughs> a thing. And it's just it's, so many scene changes. It's a lot. And just like writing out notes for doing that portion of the podcast is over an hour. Like you think about the show is 48 minutes, right? And, but you writing down what you're seeing with your eyes, it's, it takes a little while. So we're going to just dispense with some of that. And for the next couple episodes, you're also going to probably notice that the editing quality will not be quite as good as usual. And that's basically because I'm not going to spend six hours editing a 45 minute podcast anymore. So we're Midwesterners and you're going to hear Midwesternisms and we'll do our best to keep our pets from making a whole bunch of noise. And the train that comes through my town at (laughs) regular intervals, we will, I will get rid of these things, but some of the other stuff, our affectations from being Midwesterners just going to have to live with. Sorry, but right now For us, it's more important to actually get the podcast finished than it is to make it perfect. Because honestly, we do this for ourselves, but we also do it for fun. And we want you guys to enjoy it, of course. But we think that the content is worth dealing with some of our verbal affectations. So there's that. So... It may not be stellar, but we're going to give you what we got from our casual conversations. And without further ado, do you have anything to add to that, boss lady? I'm already sorry for you having to edit out my cat. (laughs) No, we're, fuck that. (laughs) Thrall's here too. He is loud and he is proud and he wants someone to pet his back. And he's a little kitty commander, so he thinks he needs to be catered to. He does. He would like me to pick him up, and he would like me to pat his belly the entire time. Yes. And yes, for those of you who have just asked yourself, is their cat's name really Thrall? Yes, yes. it is. Yes, we play WoW. Shut up. Otherwise, so, uh, <laughs> it, it's just a slave name. That's fine. <laughs> right? So, anyway... We are going to do this a two for episode. So we're going to plow through episode nine and talk about some of the stuff on Reddit about episode nine. And then we will give you a brief musical interlude in the center for those of you who have not watched episode 10 yet so that you can hit pause and go watch your episode and come back and catch what we have to say about episode 10. Because mm-hmm. this is going to be one big episode for Handmaid's Tale, for the Handmaid's Tale. And we are doing the same thing for our Harlots episode. So you will get episodes two and three with this musical interlude in the center and we're just going to roll from one end to the other. So we will do our best not to cross-pollinate streams here between episodes. Should be pretty easy because the context of these episodes are completely different. So there won't be any confusing something that happened in episode 10 with what happened in episode 9 since episode 9 takes place in one single room. Pretty much. Yeah. So, without further ado, 
the theme, I think, or let's, we're going to just talk you through what we think of the themes because we're not doing the whole recap. We're just going to kind of throw out our brain salad as we do when we get together and do these. But I think the episode, the theme that I picked out of episode nine was isolation. That's a main one for this, obviously. On a few levels. And not just because the doctor says it, because, I mean, he does, right? He puts words to what I think is an abstraction that we're given by the writers so that we can connect that episode to something concrete. Mm-hmm. You know, when he says, you know, I tried to tell them that they shouldn't have you here by yourself, you know, in this room. But I think there's a lot to unpack with isolation in this because if you think about the people who come in the room that share the room with June throughout this entire episode, there's really just Lydia, who despite being a aunt, is also pretty isolated, right? Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about that. She wants to make connection with her girls, but it's not often able and then serena who is definitely isolated because she doesn't really relate to the other commander's wives maybe serena is always isolated because she doesn't relate to anybody i'm still trying to figure out if she's a sociopath or has any empathy at all (laughs) i don't know i know right and then off matthew's isolation is part of what drove her to what happened because the community of handmaids as isolating as it may be because they're all supposed to be informing on each other and there's all that stuff. But when they started bullying her, that isolation became so acute. There was no relief from it. She probably feels very isolated at home. Most of them, I think probably do. And likely, June certainly did. What we know is from June's experience, and we can surmise from Janine's experiences, is she probably spent a lot of time in her room alone, too, out of sight, out of mind. There's reason to believe that some of the handmaids are not quite as isolated, but then they're also the chattier handmaids, if you'll notice, like Alma and her blabbermouth. Oh, my goodness. Alma. (laughs) Although this, well, we will, you know, episode, the previous one, she pretty much tells June she's kryptonite. So there's like, yeah. Anyway, but we are kind of given these layers of isolation for this. And then there's June's isolation, of course, which is very concrete and, and literal, right? She's in this room with a dead woman. And a baby hooked up to a fetal monitor for, we're led to believe, I'm guessing a couple months or at least like eight weeks, six, eight weeks. I think so. She had at least mentioned when she was, when they first came in and she was kneeling down, said that she's been here for a month. But we really don't see a time passage thing. We just see in, out, in, out. So it could be over, over a month. Right. And what we do know from studies that have been done on people who are held in isolation, that time after about the first, was it week, 
starts to become a thing that it's very hard to keep track of, like days and nights. They just start to meld in. Yeah, it all just becomes, because the mind is like, lack, the lack of stimulation for the mind becomes, becomes numbed. So <clears throat> that was the thing that really stuck out to me from that episode as a sort of the primary one. But then we have a recurring theme, I think, that we've talked about, I know, previously, and that is faith. And then June's loss of it or disconnection from her faith and the desperation, I think, that that drove her through, drove her to. And then the end of this episode and how it resolves itself and her finding a purpose again. Oh, absolutely. And her prayers. Right. And she decides to stay until Natalie finally passes on, like fully passes on. So that's what, what I identified. I don't know. What what did you see, boss lady? Yeah, I just pretty much saw the same as you between the isolation and faith. Right. Right. There's some little subtexts, I think, that are interesting. I thought it was interesting and I don't know if it's a plot hole that you can drive a truck through or not. Oh, which part? The Sharps box. Oh, my God. The Sharps box in so many ways. At Maybe that's just how Gilead does this now. They don't think. I don't know. Maybe handmaids, maybe handmaids don't end up in rooms by themselves very often. Yeah. But, yeah. oh, that scene. Oh, it had me. Oh. No. No. And then the doctor takes it away from her. Yeah. Or off the floor and puts it back in the sharps box. Like, dude, where do you think it came from? <laughs> I think it was more of the, yeah, I know where this came from. Wow. Wow. Just wow. Just wow. And and I hope that it's that these men are just so stupid that they <laughs> Uh, and it's not just a like really dumb plot device because I was just like really although maybe he's just so confident in what he tells her that he didn't think it would be such a big deal to leave her with a sharp thing in the room but I mean literally she could have done in Natalie done in herself and done in like three other people with that scalpel if she was really determined Yeah. Yeah. She for sure could have killed Natalie. Oh, she could have. And just, yeah. yeah. I mean, she almost did. She except for Janine, our little one-eyed angel. Oh, she is she though. <laughs> I mean, yes, she is, okay, but I I have to admit that I was very much with June in this thing. And that's what I've said over and over is that literally Gilead could get way worse in terms of creating hosts for sperm. I think the only reason they haven't turned to that was the reaction that the body had 
that that tiny that baby was tiny, mm-hmm. super tiny, and and June even mentioned that they're all praying for him, and it's like, uh, if the body's going to react like that, I don't think it's worth the the mm-hmm. uh, danger of putting as hosts for now. Well, yeah, and the thing that doesn't get spoken about in this is that he she had another boy, right? But. Mm-hmm. I have a learning disability that I was born with because my mom had seizures while she was pregnant with me and in the hospital. And I was IV, I, you know, got some IV phenobarbital a couple times a day for like a two weeks. <laughs> so like at the end of the day, having women in hospitals and hooked up to IVs, whether they're for whatever reason, in the late stages of their pregnancy is really dangerous. Like it can cause some real problems. And, you know, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like what's the end sum on this kid? So I kind of like, this is, these were the thoughts I had when June went over and started folding Natalie's air tube. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know if the, the, the first time of her like squeezing the air tube was actually, to release Natalie or if it was just to release herself at that point, which I can't blame her for. Well, honestly, do you think at that point she, she was feeling that her and Natalie were actually separate entities? That's true. Especially with uh, aunt Lydia later on being, that's your walking partner. Where else would you be? Yeah. Yeah. And PTSD has a way of, you know, creating, fugue states where anyway where a person is you know their identity is a slippery question like where am i when am i who am i how am i right like these two Mm -hmm. like these are questions so like i find it really interesting sort of june wanting to release them both and she knew she had to know at that point if she killed natalie she was gonna hang oh yeah because once she heard the alarm, she was like, oh, I should probably go get down. Yeah. Um, I will say that, that another thing that um, you, you can't quite tell what you might do to save a baby might what might do to a child afterwards. Yeah, that's what um, I was getting at with all the medications and Natalie having the seizures, which, you know, mm-hmm. she could have died from. And that's why they did that. And the heart rate thing is not good for babies either. You know what no. I mean? And that happens with seizures. I mean, with uh, my mom got to tell me that my my grandmother apparently took the um, anti-miscarriage uh, medication with all so of her children. Mind. Yeah, with all of her children. And my uncle has a bad heart. And yeah. there's possible chances of cancer. And it's like. Yeah. And that's lucky. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I know people who had thalidomide because it's my generation that, you know what I mean, your mom's about the same age as me, maybe a little older. That's why you're my second mom. <laughs> so thalidomide is like literally it caused all kinds of birth effects, like physical birth effects. I know a kid who was born, I don't know, Nick was probably like four years, five years younger than me. He was born without thumbs um, and short, foreshortened front you know, his forearms were short and he was missing fingers. Like these are things that like, that's what the lidomite did. Mm-hmm. So like, 
And because that's exactly what they told me was why I have dyslexia is because of my mom's, like, those things all pass the placental barrier when they're IV transferred. Mm-hmm. And anticonvulsants are very heavy-duty drugs. Oh, yeah. There isn't anything that's not a heavy-duty drug that they can give you to stop convulsions or control convulsions. So, yeah. And phenobarbital is like a heavy hitter. Anticonvulsant. And, yeah, for three – no, I think it was a little over a week. My mom was in the hospital hooked up to IV of a drip. <laughs> because she had eclampsia, preeclampsia, her blood pressure was terrible. And she was, um, they were worried about seizures. And I, I don't know, she's never come right out and said she had one, but I get the impression that she had maybe had a couple of seizures. And that was why they started the drugs. So, because her blood pressure was bad and then it got worse. But. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. There's a reason why they don't want to do that stuff with mm-hmm. you when you're pregnant. And then there's all the hormonal things from the trauma that Natalie's body had encountered either that are also jacking up her son's um, metabolism. So I don't know. I just felt like a mercy killing. That was the thing in my head was just like, June, just end it. Like, <laughs> I know that's <laughs> terrible. And there are going to be people who really hate me over saying that. But I just, I just felt so bad for all three of them. I did too. It was just, I, I couldn't sit there and be like, no, June, you shouldn't do that because, you know, you're going to end up on the wall. And it's like, you, you've been there a month. Mm-hmm. kneeling all day yeah, and then getting to the point where you can hear music in the beeps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder how many people really think about that like that. I thought it was just a really, there's a lot of things being unpacked in that episode that I really appreciated. Uh, they even covered the fact about the, uh, Girls who are aging up in Gilead. Yeah. Which seemed to be a trigger, not just for, not just for June. Did you mm-hmm. notice when those wives were there and they were praying over Natalie's body, Serena and the others, and those girls walked by, Serena's head popped right up and she watched that. Mm-hmm. Was it Serena? Yeah. Oh. Did she Remember, because she came in to help pray. Like the second time and meet. Oh, yeah. the second time. Yeah. Yeah. And the girls walked by and June had already said she couldn't, she wasn't sure if those girls were real or not. Mm-hmm. And then that's the first indicator you get that they are real is that the wives and Serena's there and those girls go by and Serena's head pops up and she watches those girls. All we see is June, right? The foreground. So like the back of June's head and the bed and the wives and then Serena, her head popping up and her looking and watching in her head, tracking those girls all the way across the window, exactly like June. Like they were almost mirrored movement. And that's creepy. I think we, again, we've discussed this, the direction, the director of photography, the set designers in this fucking show are geniuses. They are such great, fantastic work. Just amazing. I can't even, it's like, wow, this is just, wow. There's all the, wow. 
There's a million <laughs> things to wow about it. And especially in a room that you think by the end of the episode, you'd be boring or she'd be claustrophobic as June is in that room. Mm-hmm. Right. But like they did a lot to like, you got that feeling. And then just about the time you were like, okay, I need to just go get a coffee now. Cause this is really, and then <laughs> something would happen on screen, you know, it's like, Oh wait, what happened there? Yeah, come back, come back, come back, come back. Yeah, right. So it was, I thought it was really, really good. And I, I loved the conversations in this. This one, June's internal monologue was really, I thought, super interesting. It really was. Because it does t- kind of get into that looping that happens with people who are held in solitary or in a sensory-deprived environment. And I think this is one of the things that I liked about this too, as I really hope that those of us who have watched this episode, who up until this point have maybe held the opinion that people who find themselves in solitary confinement are either overstating their situation or they deserve it, that you had a hot minute to think about it. It gave you a minute or that it gives you a minute now to like parse that out the specific kind of cruelty and horror that that brings on. And it doesn't even have to be torture. It doesn't even have to be torture. It doesn't. I have to say, I mean, it is, but I mean, it doesn't have to be the rest of it. But I also thought it was interesting because I grew up in a house that was like one half Baptist and one half Catholic, right? I think I've talked about this, which is really fucked up. I just want everybody to know. As one of the things I noticed about like June's kneeling and the things that were going on, it reminded me of some of the stuff I read about in college about Catholic saints and their self-deprivation and the mortification of their human flesh in order to be purified. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you ever read any of that stuff or like look at any of that in any of your anthropology stuff? Sadly, no, we did not. It was interesting. Sad face. Yeah, but it's interesting to me. So there, I saw a parallel there. And then, of course, that June had a religious experience as a result. Like there's some interesting imagery there that's like layered in on top of all the other stuff, too. I wonder about whether or not that was an intentional parallel they were trying to draw between some of the torturous things that happened to saints and that their revelation as a result of their martyrdom or their you know what I mean how they they came to their visions or their um, revelatory experience with God due to the situation they found themselves in either by self-mortification or by, you know, torture and mortification at the hands of heretics. Mm -hmm. So if anybody knows of any good saint stories that that would apply to and sees any other parallels in this episode, we would love to hear from you at our email, which is handmaids and harlots at gmail.com. Anyway. Email us. 
So what about you, girly? Because I'm talking a lot. You can talk. I want to hear you talk. <laughs> Just been like so super blah. Um, I just think that the torture without torture is something so Gilead that we have needed to see that um, we're getting so much more filled in that some people might have felt this was such a slow episode, but I thought that it was just, it was great. It filled in a lot more about Gilead that we didn't get to see because of where we were. There's the train I was telling you guys about. You have no idea how many times a day that comes through this town. I hope you all enjoy your frack sand, heating oil, plastic, and car gas. Because I love it. Sarcasm button, fully depressed. Yeah. I also did not like that sharp scene. (laughs) Why do they even have sharp containers anymore? It's not like anybody has hepatitis or AIDS anymore, right? Right. Because all of those vulnerable populations are dead. Cough, 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 cough. Hack, hack, hack. Believability. Well, I'm sure they are. Except for the commanders that are junkies. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they had a sharp box. Right? Maybe it's just because they're there and they're like, why not? Ease for cleaning. They're just little cultural inconsistencies sometimes in the episodes that like, and it's not that it wrecks my immersion per se, but Mm -hmm. it makes me think. So what did you think was going to happen with June and Serena? I don't know. There was somebody who had, um, message on um reddit with uh what serena said to june about that how you're supposed to be one of the strong ones um someone said how do we know where is it i even pulled this up so i had it i even pulled this up uh londoner said i don't think that scene actually happened like serena's supposed to be in washington june's going mad no reason why she would have traveled all that distance uh to do whatever some random commander or wife and in fact suspected half the scenes in this episode were a waking dream well here's the thing though is like people commit a commute mm-hmm. from boston D- to dc i lived in boston <laughs> like <laughs> people commute it's not that huge of a fucking train ride to be frank and two if june was there for a month there's no guarantee that Serena didn't come home. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to think she wouldn't have. I just thought it was an interesting idea, too. I was like, oh, well, that could it, be. It is. And it's hard to tell in that episode what is June's waking dreams, as June says. So she's not even sure those little girls are real. Mm-hmm. But I am going to state that it's not that big of a deal to take the train to D.C. from a lot of places. People do it. It might not be fun. But if you're commuting from outside of D.C. into D.C. on a train, you have the money. <laughs> and they have the money, I'm assuming at least. Yep. So I don't know. Outside, she has apparently military transports at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I really, I really love this episode. Then I did too. I thought it was really interesting at the end of June's staying with Natalie and then realizing what her purpose was and understanding. I think finally that she had to have a plan. She couldn't just be running around half cocked as it hadn't gotten her anywhere. Because mm-hmm. it hadn't. And as a matter of fact, it was going to get her in a place where she was going to be dead before she actually got anything done. Oh, yeah. Besides be angsty and get a bunch of other people killed. By the way, I did see the post where people were complaining that Jin hasn't gotten all these people killed. Jin has consequences of Jin's actions have led to a few people being in bad situations. Not all of them. I mean, I can't blame the Kano wife on her or the Kano guy. He was a part of Mayday. Uh-huh. I mean, he knew the risks. But the Mackenzie's household, whatever happened to them, and everybody involved in it. And she not only did that, she presumed to risk Alma and everybody else in it because they all knew. Everybody. She could have burned all of Mayday. Luckily, Mayday's probably like splinter cells. Be my guess. There's a lot. And she might still get people hung that besides herself. That trick with Nick, that might have gotten her gotten him in trouble. And I'm not entirely yeah. sure that that's not what got him sent to the front. I wouldn't doubt it. So and Lydia, poor Lydia in this episode, her wow. Oh, so many fields. And to be honest, this is like the one of the hardest episodes to watch when you're dealing with a really ugly depression. Like it's like literally was like I just sort of shut down mm-hmm. at a point. It's just like I can't think about this anymore right now. <laughs> I can't. It's, there's feels involved that I'm not sure I'm I'm capable at the moment to deal with, process, or think about. Yeah, it was a bad day for me, too. I was like, oh, this is not going to be a good one for me. Also, that's the most annoying fucking Belinda Car- Carlisle song ever. Ooh, baby, do you, know do you want me to punch why? you? <laughs> hey, I wrote a synopsis for this. I had to watch this four times. I'm so sorry. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, too bad I did it. I have it stuck in my head, and the first uh, time I clicked on Black Mirror... I oh, it was there too. Whoa, really? I don't watch mm-hmm. that show, so that's fucking hilarious. It was, it was just like I can't escape this song, right? I do want to say this about this episode in particular. Well, about this season, the one thing I will say is that when the music is being used, like it was in seasons one and two, it's really good again. But it's like. They've done less of it this year. Sorry, what was that? The failure to like utilize music as well as they did the first two seasons. Hmm. I don't know. When they do it, it's excellent, but they just don't do it every episode. And I kind of miss that. (laughs) They knew you were expecting it and they're done with this. Yeah. It's like I used to watch, I used to watch Boston Legal. Like this was, this is a serious addiction. (laughs) And I always knew that if worse came to worse, I could miss the first 25 minutes of the show. As long as I got home to see James Spader's characters closing arguments. 
I was good. And for him, and watch, watch him and Denny smoke cigars and drink whiskey out on the on the deck. Like I needed that last ten minutes of the show. Like seriously, I couldn't live without that. That was life, and it was okay. And so, in some respects, some of the bad the bad episodes in the first two seasons for me were really carried by the music that I got as a part of the show. Like that last scene, that last, you know what I mean? Those songs were really. I hooked into, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they carried a message for me and the few of them that have been this, uh, this season that have also done that for me were really, I think the stronger of the episodes because music was utilized in a way that was really good. This episode just happens to be that I hate that song so bad. So I was just like, Bleh. But it was at the same time, like, I can see where that would drive me mad. Just that. Like, if I had an earworm of that song for a month, I would be batshit crazy at the end. Oh, I'd be, rip- I'd be ripping hair out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Because it's just like, no, please, no. It's like Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. If I never <laughs> hear that fucking song again, I will be too soon. Just sitting there like, oh, my God, you can hear it. You can hear it now. Oh my god! Yeah, just talking about it, I am hearing it in my head. Is <laughs> not acceptable. It's not acceptable. I think she did cut Serena. Although there is some. Well, we won't get into that this episode. We're not talking about that shit right now. Nope. Um, I have like seven million tabs open on my Chrome <laughs> from last week. Um. A bunch of these were like, really, guys? But some of them were really good. And I really liked, oh, where are they? Let me pull them up. Uh, there's some question ones I want to get to, but they were specific to episode nine. Oh, the one about does June believe in God? I, I don't, I'm not sure what people want for a testament of faith, but I think June believes in God. I think June's always believed in God. But she doesn't believe in God one, she doesn't believe in the God that Gilead believes in. Oh, goodness, no. And she doesn't wear her faith on her sleeve. Like, I think some of the people who watch the show think she should. I mean, she's shown plenty of times of actual faith. Yes. She knows the Bible. She got beat for quoting it to Aunt L- Lydia. Oh, she did. Hardcore. She insisted that her daughter be baptized Catholic despite the fact that she was no longer practicing and much to her mother's chagrin. (laughs) And it was enough of an issue that when, despite the fact she wasn't there and despite the fact that this child is not her husband's, he went and took and got this baby, got Nicole baptized because he knew June would want it. Yeah. Not just a, a whim thing. So this brings me back to the thing about evangelicism. June is clearly Christian, clearly believes in God. She's not an evangelical. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, sometimes for some people, really difficult to wrap their mind around. Because, and I'm not saying that all evangelicals are this way. So before I get hate, or you all start praying for me, I want you to put this in your cap and think about it for a hot minute. The evangelicals I knew growing up contended that unless you were evangelical, you weren't even Christian. And evangelicals do a lot of virtue signaling in public. 
This is a big thing. Aunt Lydia was clearly evangelical. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Her and this guy saying grace in the restaurant, the whole, like all of that and the rest of her virtue signaling is clearly of an evangelical bent. She was an evangelical or is an evangelical. And evangelical people, I've made this joke before. I don't like the one about vegans because I know people that are vegan and are not like, you know, annoying about it. But I have yet to meet evangelicals that I've been in a room with for more than 20 minutes that don't figure out how to tell me they're evangelical. And I have a hard time with this because people might be offended. But the reality of the matter is, is yet evangelicals by the name evangelical are dictated by their faith to witness to those who they believe are not Christian and saved because that's the purpose of being an evangelist. So it's, yes, train, we know. So (laughs) that is like, so evangelism, that's what religion is named after. So it's hard for me to conceptualize evangelicals being upset about people saying what I just said. That's Mm -hmm. the purpose of the name of that branch of religion, regardless of what sect of it you belong to. Evangelical, Lutherans, evangelical, Free Christians, evangelical, Pentecostals, evangelical, Baptists. It doesn't matter if you're an evangelical, you are, that's the purpose. And so that idea that because June's not evangelical means she can't believe in God is difficult for me. Like, why are we asking this question at this stage? In three seasons, why are, of Jane, June, demonstrating on a number of occasions that she's religious or that she believes in God, though maybe not in a, in a structured religion that are we asking is June believe in God? I mean, honestly, they should just, they don't, she doesn't need to come right out and say it. What do we need from her? What would be enough, uh, virtue signaling for us to know that she is believes in God because she believes in God. I, that's never been in my head a question. Mm-mm, not been in mine either. So I, some of these posts are just a little interesting and I don't entirely understand why people ask them. There's some lingering hate on this uh, on Reddit as well about this season being garbage. Which I do not understand. I don't understand either. Although I did see a really honest post and I'm not going to name names, but somebody who said they were holding out all these romantic ideas about the end, including Serena redemption arc and marrying Tuello and moving off somewhere and being a hap. What the fuck about dystopian novel do you not get? (laughs) This isn't vampire diaries. No. To, to take a line from Game of Thrones, if you thought this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. No shit. And honestly, the book is not a hard read. And even for a slow reader, they could finish it in a week. I can finish it in probably six hours. I don't know. I did not, uh, did not time my read through. <laughs> but it did not take me very long. I think two days when I was languidly reading it. I read two of the last three 
thousand page or better books of the Dark Tower series over four days. You're also a book monster. And Hammy's Sale is literally, I mean, it's maybe right around the 200 and some, pa- 200 and some pages. It's literally one week. It's probably thinner than some people's Harlequin romances. Mm-hmm. Probably shorter. So <clears throat> it's not that kind of show. It's not here to do fan service. It's not here to tie everything up in a neat, happy frickin' bow at the end. And we all need to get over it. That's just my two cents. People don't have to like it, but it is what it is. It's not I, telling us a story we want to hear. It's telling us a story we need to know. Uh, there might be some happy endings out of it, but I do not suspect that there will be a great deal of them. The only happy ending I really seriously am invested in, and somebody posted this on Reddit, was I want us to start a petition today to make sure that Janine gets the fuck out of Gilead and go somewhere and, like, I don't know. Please protect our little one-eyed baby. Please. I want my little cinnamon roll to, like, not suffer anymore. I've had just about enough of her suffering. Here's some crazy shipping. Did you see this? The the desire, the wishful thinking that she'll be off Maddox. <laughs> no, yeah. I have not. Yeah, yeah. Oh no! I just I want Janine to get out. I just want our cinnamon roll to get free, and I, I love that too. somebody posted about that. I was I. It was really good that Janine sort of taken on a position of being June's Jiminy Cricket. Goodness, yeah. Who knew that she could be the one to stop everything? Right? Before June did something really stupid. Although, you know, some of the people on Reddit would like to see June dead, so there's that. Mm. Let's have her swing, because she's stupid. And like I said last time we did this and we I came to the conclusion because she's not stupid. She's just not thinking. She has a well, she has a long history of being um really impulsive. She is not a perfect character. She's not a Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. She really isn't. She's got faults. She's major faults. Yep. And some of her faults have caused her to 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 get people in trouble. I am going to say this to you. Somebody else had written about this or it was either on Twitter or was here about the very strong likelihood that June was also suffering from postpartum depression. And that might well have also been part of her bulletproofness. And it's, it's a question. It's an issue that we don't talk enough about because it's no longer in fashion. We don't have fancy, you know, Victoria's secret models having babies who then do people, exposés about their postpartum so no one talks about it but postpartum depression is a really serious issue that face that women face and women who are isolated are even more likely to suffer from postpartum depression so if you take everything that has happened to june the post-traumatic stress disorder the postpartum depression and the isolation in which she lived with the waterfords you know it makes sense that it, it does. Especially I mean, when they, she has a history of being impulsive. I mean, they it's not like Gilead's taking care of any of these women. No. No. 
they're not. So there were some interesting posts about episode nine. This one was interesting by Joseph Grand that is June thinking that she's going to kill all the children. Oh God. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I'm not really sure where that came from. I don't know. Maybe because she looked like she was going to kill. Well, the heaven is a place on earth. They brought up the music and the, you know, and the repetitive, the sort of obsessive thinking, but. No, but I think June will kill herself trying to save them. That that could be a very real possibility. I'm starting to think that that's something we're going to see. Um, that she may end this season. Oh, this one I want to give a shout out to. Are you mine? Who got a silver, by the way, from you lovely people on Reddit. And this post deserved it. The silent majority who supports June's character development as realistic. The title of this post was June's character development is realistic as fuck. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with like half of the posts that get made on Reddit right now are just fanciful, ridiculous, disconnected sort of posts. And then there are people who actually are watching the show. (laughs) (laughs) And thinking about it, it reminds me of, I don't know anybody here who listens, who's spent any time on the Song of Ice and Fire Reddit, but there is a commenter there by the name of Brendan Beefish. He's also one of the moderators. And he's one of my favorite commenters on Reddit. And I religiously listen to his podcast with poor Quentin. It's called mm-hmm. Not a Cast Podcast. Anyway, the point is... I'm not going to get on Reddit and tell you that you're stupid, you're bad, and you're wrong, but I will do it here, I guess. Because <laughs> he literally will do that to people on Twitter when they tweet stupid shit, and he will do that on Reddit. He will just go in and, like, re-educate people and call them bads. I mean, and it's a show, and it's it's very well written. It's written by... A, a novelist and poet who's extremely well read and historically researched. It's not a happy story. It's, it's not, it's not a happy story and neither the showrunners or the author owe you a happy ending. No, never. Don't read half of Shakespeare. Actually Um. don't read. Don't read more than half of Shakespeare. Don't read like two thirds of Shakespeare. If you're looking for happy endings, you'll be very disappointed. Don't look for George R. R. Martin either. Yep. Don't read that. I will say that somebody else has brought up something really good for this episode. Hmm. Uh, Flying the Black. The title for theirs was for the assault and trauma survivor. This sub has become almost more triggering the show. A plea, not a roast inside on how to be more to more realistically view current character choices. Yes. Uh, the whole thing about June is not selfish. You know, it recent episode is not a morality lesson on how she needs to care more about her kid. Uh, that it's an explanation of how suicide does not always look like direct self-harm. Right. You talked about this. You brought it straight up like last time about suicide by cop. Mm-hmm. 
And we can all judge suicide and self-harm in any way we want to. But the one thing that we all have to acknowledge is true, that it is an indicator of significant trauma. It is. And as much as I want to shake June sometimes. We're we're looking at it from an outsider. Right. We're not in danger. Right. But at the same time, I know how the story ends in the book anyway. I mean... Mm -hmm. So uh, obtuse and and uncertain. June's end is obtuse and uncertain in the book. So maybe season two did take her down the path. We don't know because the book doesn't say anything about it. At least we're not finding out until the next book. (laughs) Right. And I just don't like seeing the... I don't like seeing the level of hate towards this show considering it's a literary. I mean, I just don't understand that. It's not season eight of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Which, to be frank, is actually better than season six, five through seven. Yeah, it really is. Hot take, but that's what happens when you fucking screw everything up for three uh, three seasons and then decide to try to tie it all back into what really happened. It looks like a shit show. But if you read the books, <laughs> you can kind of see it. I love interest, and I don't want to go there too much, but the reality is that the showrunners don't owe us a happy ending. And we can all say with absolute lack of certainty exactly what we would do in any of these circumstances, if it was us. Mm-hmm. Because it's really easy to, from a, say, the safety of our cell phone, our iPad, our desktop, our fire stick, our Google TV, to armchair quarterback the actions of somebody who is living in a totalitarian state where rape is state-ordered and ritualized, And they're forced to give birth to children after their own firstborns are taken from them. We literally can armchair quarterback that all we want to, but it's not happening to us. And we don't know what we would do. Mm -hmm. Not a one of you who've stated, I know exactly what I do actually know what the fuck you do. I'm going to straight out say that as a person who's dealt with at least a good deal of PTSD terror, more than likely if I was, they did force testing on like fertility or anything like that. I would probably be one of those handmaids to say, shut up and don't get in trouble. You know, to be realistic, that's probably how it would end up for me. Yep. I would be a Martha, so it doesn't matter to me. Can you cook? Yep, I can cook. Oh, then you'll be fine. I can cook, but I swear like a sailor. I smoke cigarettes. I don't know, man. I'd probably go the- <laughs> You better I would get probably married. be bunkmates with Holly. You better get married. <laughs> Uh, I did want to mention something from uh, Flying the Blacks page as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, She hosts, uh, co-hosts a Survivor podcast. Yes. The Aftermath Project. Yeah, that was a really good, really good post. And Mm -hmm. fucking train again. I'm so sorry, guys, but it is what it is. But if you want to check out... uh, I want to assume her, but I don't know. Assume, uh, see their podcast that they co-host. 
It's the aftermathblog.com. There you go. Those of you who are seriously curious about what the experience of having post-traumatic stress is like from people who have it, Mm -hmm. because we're not a monolith, again, PTSD has some, everybody has some similar things, but we all also express it in unique and individual ways. So like anger is usually just a cover for being really sad about what's happened. June's anger is overwhelming sadness, really. It is. Um, and I mean, you, you see it in that time she's talking with the, with the doctor mm-hmm. when he gets straight to it, that, you know, how long have you been suicidal? She's like, I'm not suicidal. It's like, you know what you're doing is going to put you on the wall. So how long? Have you been thinking about harming yourself? Which I sort of take to indicate that what I thought about what she was looking at off Matthew, when off Matthew had the gun, that it was indeed asking her to shoot her. But if you're going to kill me, take Lydia with us. I, I still believe it. So that is episode nine in a nutshell. I think it ended really well. I know people are going to complain about the slow. Sorry or not, actually. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Thank you, Lena Heady. I, I absolutely loved the the ending. Mm-hmm. I, I kept I kept listening, waiting for that flatline tone, but it never came. Yeah. I think that was the best. Yeah. It was good. It was really good. I I just thought the whole episode was really neatly compartmentalized. I really like that doctor. It mm-hmm. does give me some hope to believe that there are more than a few people that are now trapped in Gilead that are not happy. I mean, we've heard this. Americans have heard this, that people in Germany were not happy with what the Nazis did. A lot mm-hmm. of them were discontent. And we all have our, and again, armchair quarterbacking it going, if I were Germany and German during <laughs> World War II, I would have fucking not had anything to do with that shit. Okay. <laughs> not why the only thing paying for your food you get yourself some more little smokies and a plate of fucking chips bitch you're not <laughs> any more sure than fucking john madden was about what his own name was most of the time he called fucking games so come on that was a sports reference <laughs> for those of you who don't know but like give me a fucking break None of us know for sure. We all know what we'd like to think. We'd all like to paint ourselves heroically. We'd all like to paint ourselves as super smart. We'd all like to paint ourselves as all kinds of things. But the reality at the end of the day is we're just a bunch of human beings. We're subject to our emotions and our physical needs and comforts. And that we're going to do what we think we need to do in order to survive a given set of circumstances. And truthfully, the best way to survive Gilead is to shut your fucking mouth and do what you're told. It is. It's honestly the best way you can think of to survive. And it hurts for that. Yeah. There's nothing worse than when you're sitting there thinking, I know what I should be doing. That's what powerlessness feels like. When you know later on that you're doing the wrong thing, but you have to keep doing it because it's the only way it feels like you can survive. Yep. That's reality. That is... On the unfortunate truth for far too many people, and we don't even live in a completely authoritarian oligarchical state. Cough, cough. 
We're working really hard to get there. Yeah, let's not, though. I would like that. Yeah. So, it's something to think about. That armchair quarterbacking your relevance and history and your ability to process trauma and to live through it. And for those of you who aren't familiar and don't know and only know about the Holocaust and what it was about or whatever out of history books, I really suggest, I think it was really great that somebody that I've seen a few posts now that have referred to specific Holocaust survivor memoirs. And I'm, you could literally just look up Eli Wassell mm-hmm. and find everything you ever needed to know about what you, th- about what that experience is. And for somebody who's a thinker and what, how to survive it and what it does to people. It's a real, it's a really short read and you really should read it. Yes. Man's Search for Meaning, which was the one that I read the first one. Or no, sorry, that's not Eli Wassell. That is Viktor Frankl. So I apologize. But it is an exceptionally good book by a Holocaust survivor. And I would recommend it for anybody who actually wants to like dig into how this goes. I know there have been a couple other really good posts too about and I, I'm going to admit right now, I don't know if it was attached to episode nine or episode 10. I think it was attached to episode nine. Somebody musing about whether or not June might take a position as a capo. And that's basically what happens. Their supposition is that maybe what how they're going to get ants. The next wave is that handmaids who survive the handmaid experience and are toughened and hardened by this experience like June will then take over positions for people like Aunt Lydia, which... It makes sense. If you read about how the internal organizations of folks in concentration camps and in death camps, how they self-arranged themselves and the way that they handled things, it's kind of how that worked. It makes sense. There's some pretty good historical stuff that was poked at by a few different posts over the this season and if you guys are interested in them you can google that up and search it and read it there's some really good stuff about that yeah i don't know why i thought that was either i get those two books mixed up somehow i don't know why probably because probably because they're both holocaust survivors and they basically get down to the same things kind of yeah about you'd be surprised what you're what you will do to survive and how you get through it when you don't think you can i think we're done with episode nine Do you have anything else to say about episode nine? Leave June alone, (laughs) honestly. But it's not how this is going to work. I know we'd all like to see June in a little bubble. But honestly, I less bubble for June and more bubble for Janine. I'm just saying. More for Janine. I mean, I think June at this point can can protect herself. But please be nice to Janine. Yeah, it's like my only my only thing. Don't hurt my cinnamon bun. Just let just let her be. I don't want to see poor Janine suffer anymore. That's why I was so proud of June for just so proud. She listened to her. She gave her a hearing, a fair hearing. Janine <laughs> like shamed her like literally. And it worked. That's the best part. She got you mad about it. June got mad about it, but yeah. But then again, but, she's been kneeling for a month, so she's allowed to be. Yeah. I love that. They have also played it that that's not done yet. You know, she that walking. She didn't just get up and dance around the hospital room. No, she straight up limped. Yeah, I like that. Limping down the hallway and that girl helping her with the suitcase. That was also 
like that was, was really good. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. The images and that, and the mother's horror at seeing her daughter in context with a handmaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's some just, things to think about. Folks. Just like maybe don't touch my kid. You know, don't let her know what you what you are, which yeah. is a person. Yeah. Right. Or that that she might be you because she's fertile. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how horrifying that must be for those mothers? I suppose they hope that that means that they'll be marriageable. But what happens if the fertility crisis doesn't, they don't have enough of a rebound? I don't know. Those have been some interesting speculative posts on Reddit too, is like, what do we think is like the long-term solution here? Because this is an unsustainable model. And they're right. It is. But we also know that Gilead only lasted 25 years. So, right? Yeah. I think that's. I want to say yes. All right, so we'll be back after a brief musical interlude. So those of you who have not seen episode 10, now would be a great time to hit the pause button, the stop button. And if you don't hit the pause or stop button before we start talking again, I'm sorry, but you've been <laughs> warned. We, we can't be held responsible for your choices. <laughs> yep, I'm not, it's not my fault. Your spoilerage is not my fault. So... So on to episode 10, which, oh, holy whiz bang. Holy cow. Honestly. I I try to knit during my first watch throughs, just so I don't like end up staring straight into the abyss that is my computer screen. Yeah. But this one I had to stop. <laughs> yeah. It's, Wow. We get like such a good read on a couple things in this episode, I think are really interesting. One, I hate Winslow so much. Mm-hmm. I really do. So many creepy things he's talking about in the background. Thanks that I get to hear to close captioning. Oh. Oh, she's quite young. We'll get quite a few uses out of her. Oh. I know. He's so gross. Stabler, how could you do this to me? Oh, my God. It's just so... Oh, it's so gross. But let's not forget. It sounds like something Warren Jeffs would say. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you notice? Did you see the news? No. The FLDS has purchased property in the state of Minnesota. Huh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Polygamist, child raping, not really Mormon Mormons are coming to Minnesota. Lucky you. I wonder how long that's going to last. This is a better America. It's a great America. I don't like this timeline. It's a great America. Just, we're making it great. We're making it great. That that church even has money left is, I mind boggling. To buy property anywhere, 
It did. It read so FLDS to me, that whole remark. I could just almost imagine the creepy conversations between some of the more effed up members of that church in the patriarchy and divvying up the girls who get their first periods, like, to marry them. And after watching him on SVU so much, I just am, like, broke heart. I know. I'm like, stop, Stabler. No. If he needed a, if he needed a role to divorce him from the, you know, uber macho feminist ally, you know, scumbag hating cop, he, he picked the right one. He did. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, and even Aunt Lydia sort of like, her facial expressions dealing with him were just really, really interesting. Like, I half of what he's, you could just see it on her face. Half of what he just said, I completely agree with. The other half is giving me the vomits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And Fred, sick Fred, sicko Freddy boy. He's like, he must have been walking around with a half wood through most of that episode. Oh, just gross. I know. The men, I don't know, maybe that was the point, is for us to look at Lawrence and go, no, you really are a good guy. Like, <laughs> like For all the people who are like, I don't know, man, that Lawrence is kind of, I'm not sure, I'm on the fence. I think we now know that that he is a good guy. I don't think there's any ambiguity left. He's as good as we're getting. Yeah, because, you know, he was a theoretical economist who's, you know, fell in with the wrong people. A lot of people who got sucked into the Nazi party, that's true, too. These were people that were working in their fields in young minds that were being overlooked by the power structure in Germany at the time. But the fascists were like, they scooped him right up and mm-hmm. made him feel important and gave him jobs and listened to what they had to say and paid attention. And then it became a thing. They got kind of caught up in the, that flavor of favor. You know what I mean? Of catching the eye of powerful men. I don't know. Maybe that's part of what happened with Lawrence is before he knew it, he was, and that he, his, I think his sense of superiority over everybody also gave him a false sense of security that he'd be able to control the shit show before it got out of hand, except that he didn't and couldn't. Especially with, um, you know, he kept saying that every government makes exceptions. Yeah, that he actually believed his white privilege was going to save his ass. Because he's the architect, there should be some yep. kind of comeback to that. Yep, yep. It's awful. It's awful. But I just, wow, I just, Fred, I just wanted to smash his face in with a rock the whole episode. Fred? Yeah. At least until June does it for me. (laughs) At least it wasn't you. Oh! Glorious. I actually laughed out loud did you you ugly laugh i did i ugly laughed i was like (laughs) and then he like died i was like this is like great i'm like so happy oh oh my goodness it's like perfect (laughs) yeah i'm fairly sure that fred wandered around with a half staff the whole episode until yeah till the ceremony was over 
And June said that to him. And then he got the second punch to the balls after, you know, Serena sits on the edge of his desk and hands him a fucking cell phone. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, things just got really interesting. What you going to do, Freddy boy? Just think of all the pussy you can't plunder if you leave Gilead. Oh, think of how you're going to hang. But you well, can't come up with any better lies to tell your wife. The thing is interesting is that Serena, in her own way, gives Fred the exact same directive that June gives Lawrence is we can get out of here if you give them something. Mm-hmm. We can get what we want if, if you, you give them something. Give them something. The difference is that Fred wants to be a hero, is being asked to be a traitor. Lawrence is a traitor twice over now, being asked <laughs> to be a hero. And one of the posts I saw that was really great, somebody said he doesn't want it because he doesn't feel, he doesn't deserve it. He does not believe for a minute that he deserves to be a hero. So when he says that I would be a hero, it is ironically. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he ever really believes that he'll be able to get out with his wife ever. And even if he does, he doesn't, he doesn't believe he deserves to be a hero. He I don't. Knows. How many people yeah. have died as a result? Like, he knows how much blood is on his hands. Because he's a commander. He's got all that information. Mm-hmm. Somebody had mentioned something really kind of cool on Reddit. Uh, Voice of Season. Yes, I have that one too. <laughs> <laughs> is if Lawrence is Albert Sphere, the Nazi who said sorry. I think that's, um, and they had another one, Voice of, that was the other, I mentioned one of their earlier ones, and then you just mentioned that one. Voice of Season, you're awesome. You are a good poster. Hello, Voice of Season, you're a homeboy. If you, contact us. Please. Because maybe if you have, you know, a microphone and a headset. We'd love to have you. Maybe we would, because, like, you get it. You get the things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the one that I was mentioning is I will be a hero, Commander Joseph, and it's um it's by NMZH and they just it was a really short post. I upvoted it when me and you know nine other people. But <laughs> that he just doesn't feel like he is. He doesn't I don't think he feels like he is worthy of it, but his wife is. But I thought was interesting. I mean, she's kind of an innocent in this. Yeah, she didn't ask for this shit. No. I love her, I guess, her unmedicatedness. Yeah. Well, manic depression's like that, though. You have, like, the three days and, and any 60-day cycle where you're sane. Mm-hmm. And but it was just like, oh, those would be in the Red Center. Those are downstairs. Right where they were. And then was like, yeah, she's she's a spitfire. I bet she was an amazing, like when she's medicated, I have a feeling she's a real terror in a good way. Yeah. I I love how she was like, you know, you could get out and, oh, you know, have uh, mood stabilizers instead of herbal tea. Yes. 
Oh, snark. The salt was hot there. I was like, oh, you're an amazing actress. You are. I know. Okay, so yes. Voice of season again. Yeah, girl, get a hold of us, okay? Mm-hmm. Comparing this scene to Eli Wassell's memoir, Night, which is funny because we were just discussing Eli Wassell and Victor Frankel in the previous episode. We are so down. Get a hold of us. We wanna <laughs> we wanna talk to you. Cause you get it. You did some really great stuff this week. I just wanna say. Really, really good. This Very is good. another one for episode ten I really like. Season three, episode ten, just my two cents by Raven H. Horn. When she talks about why Eleanor was upset, Eleanor and Joseph were upset about the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And that it really didn't have to do with the sex part for Eleanor. It may have for him. Because he really strikes me as the kind of person that's like, maybe he's on the spectrum of autism where he's really focused on one person. Like his attachments are super strong and pretty singular, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's his thing. But she, it was participating in raping another woman. Because she uh-huh. was, she's the kind of woman who just plain knows that's what that is. And there's no, way, no window dressing that makes that not rape mm-hmm. for Eleanor. Didn't she yell during it? Like when she was having the breakdown, you said we wouldn't have to do this again? Yeah. That's what I thought. She did. And Which would make sense because they would have had to do a witnessing for the first time. I think it's interesting is that that's – and the, the thing, too, about this post is they point out that Serena, it's jealousy. Hmm. I agree. Okay, I want to say this because I've been thinking about this. When I went back and watched some of the other episodes to deal with some stuff that we had talked about, like episode eight or episode seven, and I went back to season one and season two, talk about Fred and Serena and the birth of the SOJ. I think that maybe that was the article, the thing I wrote for the blog. But they seem to be very passionately in love. They did. Really seemed like it, at least. And she, I think, is a very passionate woman. And Fred is clearly a very sexual guy. Mm-hmm. I think that this convention of them not having sex because they are, one or both of them are infertile. Which, by the way, I'm just going to say this one more time because I'm really tired of seeing these posts. I'm going to start going through all of them and yelling. And in all caps, that the show writer and runner, the people who did it, have repeatedly stated it was a mistake for them to have her get shot in the abdomen because it gave people the wrong idea. Serena did not get shot in an ovary or through her uterus. She got shot in the hip. She's not sterile. Fred is. And how many more times this needs to be said or wrote on Reddit? But there it is. She's not infertile. Fred is the problem. It is. It's been mentioned many times. If you didn't know, now you know. Again. 
But um, Serena's jealousy is twofold. Is that one, she's not getting laid. I, I really, there's a lot of things wrong with Serena that I think would get fixed by like a couple screaming orgasms. I'm not <laughs> lying. I, she just really has that face. And I'm not saying that in disrespect to people who are asexual. I get that, but she's not ace. She's in, so. she's culturally imposed into an asexual role that is uncomfortable for her. And she she has clearly wanted to have relationships with with Fred. Yes. She wanted that date when he couldn't get it up. She wanted him so bad. She I wanted think she, to help him so badly. And I honestly think that if he, if they were having sex outside of the ceremony, this, the two of them were like intimate physically with each other, that a lot of the fucked up shit that goes on in Serena's head would be better. And I'm not saying that people, but people do need physical touch. People mm-hmm. do need to be comforted. They do need to have to be hugged and, and held. We all have that need. And unless you're a sociopath, like almost literally, everybody has that need to be comforted. And that's a part of their relationship that is dead since Gilead. And she sees him investing in these women that they've had as handmaids. And I think for Fred, he needs that too, which is getting twisted up in his relationship with June. Because that's, he couldn't get it up when they were at odds and he didn't have a chance to like talk to her outside of the ceremony. Mm -hmm. He was trying to suddenly make a connection with. He needs intimacy to be able to perform sexually in that way. Or he needs power. And initially, the seduction by magazines and the playing of Scrabble and the talk about work that he used to talk about Serena with, but he doesn't anymore. He was using June as a surrogate for that intimacy, and that made him, he had feelings immediately because there was, it was directed somewhere. He could do that with June and he couldn't do it with Serena. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when it became clear that June did not return his feelings, really, that she was being a coquette and using them against him, he started using sex as a weapon, specifically. And I think the first time we really see that is the episode where he knows he's being played and he brings Moira to the hotel room at Jezebel's. Mm Mm-hmm. And he tries to coax her out of it first, right? Because he says, you know, you don't have to be quiet here. Because he's wanting her to, like, let go, right? And be sexual and enjoy herself. Because he wants that. that. Yeah, he wants her. He wants to believe that she finds him attractive, that this is good for him as it is for her. Yes. And she denies him. And then he bitch slaps her with Moira. Because once he doesn't like try to comfort her or anything like that he's done before, when Moira leaves and she's crying, he essentially is just like, all right, get clean. Let's go. 
Yeah. And so then their their interactions after that become sort of a delicate dance of her playing the game that she and him sucking into it because mm-hmm. he needs it. His male ego needs it. And Serena has reached a point of being pissed at him where she does it after the finger cut. You know, it's kind of like, fuck you, buddy. Mm-hmm. But he's like angling to get her back. Somebody asked that, but he says that specifically in this episode. He does. Like, you could come back. To Washington. Yeah. Because now he's in a position because he's sucking Stabler's dick, Commander Stabler's penis, you know, that he can ask for her and get her back. Mm -hmm. They could be one big happy family. What in the world makes him think that putting her and Serena under the same roof is ever going to be good for anybody? Mm -mm. Mm Mm-mm. Because either those two are going to fight like they did before, and in D.C., how's he going to cover that up? I'm surprised he'd cover up half the crap. I know. Or they're going to join forces, and he is literally going to be wearing the fucking pony, the pony suit. Like, yeah, bring Mama the whip. It's time for the bad boy to get one. It won't be pretty. I don't know what he's thinking. I think he's thinking he can have his cake uh, and eat it too. Yeah. He can have this strong woman who gives him such great ideas and so smart and so capable and then still have his little sex kitten on the side. Yeah. And he, I, wow. He's delusional. Like Fred is literally lost in his own head. And I don't mean the big one. I I think that uh, after that episode, uh, Fred might not have very many lies to hide away from. Yeah. Especially with, I mean, June slapping him in season two. He could probably, like, say, oh, that's the woman feels, you know. They're irrational creatures, those women. Mm -hmm. But I obviously put her in her place. But this one, she straight up said that she didn't want it to be him. Yeah. Yeah. It was horrible for everyone, and you guys know it, but it was still better than any night I had sex with you. Yep. It was cool. Zing. Just just watching his face fall was the most beautiful thing I have seen. I thought he was going to, like, his head was going to implode. Mm-hmm. Suck down into a hole in his neck. Oh, God, yeah. It was glorious. It was almost as good as Serena telling him to stop fooling around now and get my fucking daughter back, you prick. Like, <laughs> I was like, yes. Go, girls. Go, girls. So the episode's themes, because we got a little bit of far, <laughs> right? But um, this episode's themes, I think, are plots. Like mm-hmm. thinking. Now we're thinking. Now we're thinking caps are on. I'm not really sure. Like, like I don't know how to put that into a specific word, but it seems like everybody's starting to actually think. Even Serena. Now, mm-hmm. how long has she had that goddamn cell phone? And it just now occurred to her. <laughs> Maybe I could use this. All right, I can fuck with him, and I'm gonna get what I want. I did like, there's another one and I have too many tabs open and I can't fish through all this. I'm sorry. I'm a terrible person. But I loved one of these posts. Somebody had mentioned that they thought 
it was interesting. I'm looking still. God. Mm-mm-mm. Covered that one. Um... Oh, somebody had wondered if Serena is playing a game that she's setting Fred up. She could be. I mean, you know. Yeah, it was three, um, three, two, one Equinox. Does Serena have alternative motives regarding Nicole? And is she trying to like set some stuff up? And then we see this video. I think that was for episode nine. And then we see this week where she gives Fred the phone. So like, there's some been some questions back and forth. Like, is it possible that she's already called Twello or Tulo or whatever his name is? And said to him, so if I give you Fred on a fucking platter, will you give me my daughter? God, yeah. And that might not even say that she'll even get that. She might just, you know, get put up there on the wall too kind of thing. I don't think Serena would have given Fred the phone unless she had a plan. And getting the baby back and then getting hung would not be the plan. Yeah, I'm thinking. So her and June right now are both, like, plotting. Much plotting. And I love that June's looking for all those children. She can't get hers, but she can get everyone else's. I love those that scene, too, at Lows and Fishes, where she's talking to all of them about their children. Mm-hmm. Letting them know where they are, inspiring hope, giving them a thing to hold on to. Oh, and, I'm, and her lying to Janine. Yeah, but it's a beautiful thing that she did because Janine's was. never going to know any different. God, I hope she doesn't. I don't want my cinnamon roll hurt either. So. I don't. I, I just want her to be okay. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is plotting and and how high the mighty have climbed. Like these men really think that they're in a position that they're, you know, that they have things where they want them now. Right. And it's almost like it sort of reminds me of like these purges that we're going through is almost like the French Revolution during the um Thousand Days of Terror, right? Mm-hmm. Or the Hundred Days of Terror under Robespierre when the when the other counter revolution the the counter revolution. Yes, and they started killing off like everybody. Like they just started hanging everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in order to purge, you know, the the, the stink, the taint, even people that had participated in the revolution who were of the peerage, right? Because there were people that, you know, had titles and the rest of it that actually supported French Revolution, learned men, and they hung them too, or imprisoned them. And then, of course, you know, Napoleon came in and cleaned up a bunch more after this was over. But, like, it's interesting to me that there's there's so many good parallels in history that we see in this show that have been used 
I love that the showrunners are doing their best to like stick to Margaret Atwood's very stringent condition that the book was written about things that either had happened or were happening at the time the book was written. It's an interesting one. They're all the plots. It's all this plotting and like machinations. I really love that. June's got all this access to information too and all that time she had it. Like she didn't, like her failure of vision, but I understand it now. Like, you know, like I said, I was one of those people who was really mad at her for a couple episodes, but I had to think about it. I had to really think about it and come to some place of empathy. I mean, if I'm going to argue that we have to be semi-empathetic to Serena because of her internalized misogyny, it's okay to be empathetic with Jane because she's got issues, stuff going on. She's not going to make the best decisions every time. So I thought the episode was really good. I can't wait for Fred to get his. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. I need this. We need a lot of things. There was not nearly enough Rita. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) She was there. She didn't say anything, but she was there. I hate that. I hate it when I don't get Rita time. (laughs) I love it. There was there Beth was time. Beth time. I do like seeing Beth, but I, I miss my Rita. Don't clean. Don't change where my things are. Oh, yeah, that was like, great. Don't move my shit. Like that was like, <laughs> blame me for not remembering where your damn key is. We don't want them to know that you don't remember where it is because you've never used it before. Mm-hmm. That was great. It's beautiful. I do hate that. It took all that for Lawrence to finally listen to June, though. Mm-hmm. That had to be hard. I just feel bad for Eleanor because she didn't ask for any of this shit from any of them. Although I do love Eleanor. Look at it. I'm so glad that you're back. <laughs> Things are so much more interesting when you're home. I'm like, oh, oh. you know what it means to me? She fucking well knew that was a bloody handprint on the wall that night that the that, <laughs> that the security guys showed up and she's like, "Well, clean it up." <laughs> fucking awesome! I love Eleanor. She's great. I think it says something about you and I that we we both are like super invested in the most mentally unhealthy characters in this show. Oh my god. Eleanor, Janine. I feel so, so sorry for both. For everybody in that scene. Like, Lawrence had to be talked through his own assault by the person he had to assault to live. I loved how June told him to disassociate. She did. She did what she could to protect She's like, just think about it like a job. So it helps to close your eyes. It's mechanical, just, you know. I'm not me. You're not you. Yeah. Like immediate and that's deep. 
understanding of the necessity to disassociate this. And I think that's the first time that he really understood what they were asking from those women. When she explained that, when he was like in tears, didn't know how to do it, worried about Eleanor, terrified. And June's like, take it from the lady who's been raped a bunch of times. Since we're all going to be raped right now, this is how you survive a rape. Mm -hmm. Because make no mistake, that was a three people person rape. And that was the people who did it weren't even in the room. Mm -hmm. It's true. There was no consent for anybody in that. Because if they didn't, because like Eleanor was like, let's fake it. Let's do this. Let's do that. And he's like, no. And June's like, no, because everybody will get, everyone in the house will get killed. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's our sin. Maybe we should die for it. And she's like, it's the handmaids are supposed to talk about it. And he's like, and Martha's are too. Like everyone in the house has to report on everyone in the house. Mm-hmm. And we have to get through this together, or we're all going to die together. It's just so rough. It's so, as much as I love this episode, and I love the moments of intimacy, and the moments of humility, and the beautiful moments of li- real care and empathy between the characters in this episode, I. It was really hard. And without that, we I don't know if I could have got through it. Like, literally, if they hadn't had that conversation, that June hadn't been so empathetic to him and to Eleanor, but honest at the same time. If Serena hadn't been so empathetic to Eleanor, even though Serena's idea of empathy is different because Serena's jealous of June and that wasn't, I don't think at all what Eleanor was signaling. She was horrified at the rape. Mm -hmm. She felt violated. She knew he felt violated and she did not want to violate June. Like the whole thing was really, really deeply abhorrent to her. Mm -hmm. It was. And it was interesting that she, what she, you know, that conversation between her and Serena and Serena finally realized that, I think Serena realized that she wasn't seeing it. She hadn't seen that part of it before. Yeah. She'd been so focused on getting Nicole that she didn't, getting a baby that she didn't really, she really didn't understand the cost of it to people. Because she tries to talk Fred and and, and Commander Stabler out of this mess. Isn't this too far? Yeah. Why we? It's what's on the books for a reason. You know, and and she tried to stop it because she knew, she knew Mm -hmm. that they weren't doing the ceremony, and she was probably hoping that and thinking that was good for June, right? In her weird way, which it is good for June in a not weird way. It's a good good for everybody to not be raped. But, oh yeah. Yeah. I it was heavy. I don't think without the really 
the really caring moments in this episode, I could have got through it. It was sort of like the one where Serena wants to, if, if that rape scene is like still locked in my head. Mm-hmm. And this one's not, I mean, we don't see this one. So there's that, but it's, it's enough. It's the suggestion, right? It was definitely the suggestion of it. And that's, And it's also a good analogy or uh, allegory for how patriarchy victimizes women and men. It is. It's a very good one. Yeah. Super heavy. Yeah, she was like, how did you not think that this wouldn't, you know, this this world you created wasn't going to come for you? Yeah. Yeah. He really presumed on his male privilege that it would he would survive it and that he'd be protected from it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is what we thought. He was getting the drugs from the underworld. I love that too, by the way. We did get our own theory confirmation that that's how they were getting that medication for her. It had nothing to do with that they couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. Because they won't, they don't give out that medication or that they, that Gilead itself has an inconstant supply of pharmaceuticals. And that's why Eleanor's not being treated. She's not being treated because Gilead doesn't believe in treating mental illness. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be getting a handmaid if they knew she was mentally ill. Cause she could and, hurt the baby. Yep. And, and they were dealing, that is part of his interface with Mayday, is that it is also the black market and where he's getting her drugs. So that feels like a good one for us. We got one right. It was beautiful. It was. There's so much about this episode to enjoy. Mm-hmm. It was a really good episode. One of the better episodes, like episode two, I felt was really good. I love that one. The one where Serena gets a bitch smacking from her mama. <laughs> Emotionally, but yes. The, the Well, the truth smacking from her mama, because that's really what it was. I mean, at her age, if your mom can't tell you that you're being a fuck up when you're, you know, in your 30s and what, and you take it like a big girl with some big girl pants. It's not like she didn't earn that ass chewing. She got one. I imagine that she got it a lot before that too, <laughs> but that one she she had that one coming anyway. She did. Um, it's what I would have said to her if I were her mother. That's <laughs> exactly what I would have said to her. Well, what the fuck did you think was gonna happen, bitch? Um, <laughs> but episode two is really good in all the same ways. I think that all the the feelings and the intimacy and the and the time to let that happen the conversations that were required to get us to those places that like and i'm watching too i don't know if fred's paying attention as much as he ought be at the way stabler's watching how serena talks to him oh god yeah i worry i worry for serena and the fact that i worry about anybody in these kind of worlds 
Serena, there's been some good, I want to say, by the way, all of you who are out there speculating on like smart things, I really appreciate all of it. I have a hot new take theory. Maybe it's not true, but maybe it is. What happens if Commander Stabler says to Fred that he doesn't like the way Serena is being, Fred needs to take her in hand and maybe cutting her finger off wasn't enough. And then Fred decides in order to protect himself, he gives Stabler the phone and tells him that Serena has had contact with Americans and is trying to infiltrate and pass information. I don't know. And that she gave away the baby. And I mean, he could literally throw her so far under the bus. I don't know, but it's going to be, I cannot wait to see the next episode. (laughs) So that's my theory. Is that maybe Fred's going to turn on Serena and what we're going to see hang is going to be Serena. And then they're going to hang Fred and he's going to be surprised. Because he's going to have what he said repeated, what he said about Joseph, which is that if he can't head his family, then what is he? He can't run his house. He can't run Gilead. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when they did that to Emily and put her in the van with her lesbian lover. Mm-hmm. And they took them to the hanging place first take her and then like so that emily knew exactly what was going to happen and then emily wakes up with a clitorectomy oh yeah like fred is going to go to serena's hanging and then they're going to grab him and put him up there too there's so much hope there yeah after he's collaborated right oh yeah and giving him everything because stabler clearly doesn't want nicole back I like how we just don't call him by his official name. <laughs> we just can't. Stabler. I'm sorry. I SVU in my head. It's it's there. It's going to be there forever. So I, and it, I love it. The people that are using that on Reddit, Commander Stabler. It's like, yes. Up Stabler. <laughs> yes, Up Stabler. It's great. I'm... I'm looking forward to next week. It's going to be a shit show. As we slide into the end of the season, it's just going to be more. It's going to be more. More of something good. Yep. And I think Nick's gone. I don't know if we're going to see Nick. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think Nick is just is not he gonna here be for driving, the rest of this? Is he going to be driving the school bus that shows up with all the kids <laughs> in it? That would be just, what? Or he's flying the military transport that they put them all in to get him to Canada. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Somebody would be like, that's not, that couldn't have happened. <laughs> be like, well. Well, this is the other interesting thing, too, is if this all goes down, like, this is the reason why I'm thinking about this thing with Serena and Fred and and Commander Stabler, because I can't help myself, (laughs) is that while they're busy cannibalizing each other, Mm -hmm. they're missing what's happening over here. And that's going to be the only reason that June's idea works. 
Hmm. I can't wait. And that somehow Nick does figure it out. Or Maybe. it comes back and just in the nick of time to make sure that it happens, gets off the way that June wants to. But will June go to Canada or will she die? Or is she going to end up living with off-stabler? Or being off-stabler? I... Ooh, let's hope not. I don't know. We'll have to... Oof. They did get renewed for another season. They did! Yeah. So. But the showrunner said he only wanted to do four. So we should be winding up into the end. The end game pieces should be set at the end of this episode, or at the end of this season, I would guess. The end of the show. Guess we'll find out. And let's just hope the plot development's better than the last three seasons of <laughs> Game of Thrones. No. Yeah. So that's that's all we have to say about episode ten. And we're sorry if it doesn't feel like as adroit or thoughtful or you know, intellectual is our usual banter, but you know, neither of us are really in that place right now. And mostly we wanted to not let you guys down. So, and we'll not work. get an episode done. We work on it. We're working on it. Um, and we need to get caught up. And then we have, we'll be doing after, right after this same recording. So tomorrow my entire life will be editing whatever editing <laughs> I do, which might not be a whole lot. You poor we, soul. I, whatever. I'm just going to cut it into pieces and throw it on the internet. I, and that's not <laughs> because I don't care about you guys. It's just, I'm just going to say this. Okay. So like me and Kay belong to a swell, we're titular members of a small group of role players on Twitter. And we got some feedback from a former member of this titular group of role players on Twitter about our affectation and I took offense just a little just a smidge just a little just a little so we're just going to roll with what we roll with by the way voice of Gilead if you listen to us we (laughs) want you on the show don't be afraid no we desperately actually do seriously want you on the show and we're not the only ones that want you on our show I'm fairly sure that the other members of this little collaborative group of ridiculous parody role players that we are part of on Twitter would also like to see you on the show because your work is fantastic. Those of you who don't follow the voice of Gilead on Twitter are missing it. You're missing all the things, all of them. It's I don't know if it started out, if you started out as a troll account or you were really seriously like trying to make a point in either case, you make a point now and you're doing great at it. And we love you so much. I loved your little audio thing. You did everything about it. And we've made a shout out. Yeah. We've made a shout out to these people before. So like the whole group is really fantastic. Um, at Serena Joyful, at Commander Lawrence, Lawrence, at Off Joseph, but for how long? 
at it's off bet off Joseph bitches, right? Or off offered bitches. It's offered <laughs> a, it's, yes. These people are a whole bunch of really great individuals. And at Walter White, what the fuck? I love Walter <laughs> too. I'm not gonna lie. So like this Aunt Lydia, at Aunt Lydia, there's this really a great group of there folks. Is. Um and should we out ourselves? Nah, not yet. Okay. We'll keep it. But we'll keep it clean. Ah. They're a great group of people. And if you're not following all of them on Twitter, you need to follow them because they're Soon hilarious. As possible. They're hilarious. The hilarity is endless. They kill me. Some days they're like the only light in my darkness, to be frank. So get with it and get on that Twitter stuff. And you can follow us at Handmaid's H. Because sometimes we say funny shit, too. Well, I do. Annie never logs into it. <laughs> Kay never logs into it. Kay never <laughs> logs into it. That's right. I can't use her other fictitious name. It's okay. I've got so many. She does. We don't know who we are anymore. Who knows? Does anyone know my real first name? I don't think so. I do. <gasps> yeah, that's true. You should. I do know her real first name. Anyway, but... <laughs> Kay, Kay never logs into the Twitter content. That's always me. So whatever you see me belathering on the, our Twitter, it's just me. She pays attention. But she do. doesn't. She doesn't log in and tweet from that account. I do. I have a hard enough time trying to keep up with my own Twitter. Right. So anyway, that's it for this episode of Hammies and Harlots. Blessed be the fight. Blessed be the fight, bitches. And that's a wrap on another episode of Handmaids and Harlots, the podcast. We are indebted to EDM Mond for use of their song, Memories, Innocence of a Girl, available through Audio Library. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please smash your like button wherever you find us. Follow us on Twitter at Handmaids H, where you can make comments, share news and thoughts, or email us directly at Handmaids and harlots at gmail.com and for essays by either myself or Kay, check out and subscribe to our wordpress blog at handmaidsandharlots.wordpress.com until next time peace be with you